0: A quick warning that this episode contains references to suicide, plus some strong language.
1: And I remember people saying, like, my voice had changed, that they could hear something in my voice. And I was like, is it death? That's what I feel. So maybe they're hearing it.
2: This is terrible. Thanks for asking. The show where we ask people to give their honest answers to the question, how are you? I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Danielle.
1: I am 31. I'm a mother of two. I am a lover. I am a freedom fighter. I am an empath to the fullest degree, and I'm a postpartum depression and
2: anxiety survivor. And this is Danny Starr.
1: I... I know I keep talking about this, but I'm seriously thrilled that we are creeping up to Thanksgiving and not a snow flurry. The sun is shining on my way in today. I'm like, I seriously don't even want to talk about it because I feel like I'm going to bring the snow. But it's not snowing. The sun is shining. Happy Tuesday.
2: For years, Danielle's job was to be Danny Starr. Danny Starr was the host of a popular radio morning show in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Danielle woke up every day before dawn, drove to a studio, switched on a microphone, and became Danny Star. It was Danny's job to entertain an entire city of sleepy humans as they went from their homes to their jobs. Danny bantered with her co-hosts, she played pop music, delivered celebrity gossip, she interviewed the star she'd grown up listening to, I mean, she met the Backstreet Boys,
1: I was excited as hell. You know, I started off talking for a living and I love to talk. So it was really cool to be getting paid for what I love to do. And life is good. It's so good, you know, and I can't imagine doing anything else. And I'm good at it. And finally, I feel like I'm in the space that I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing,
2: because this is right. It all fits. It makes sense. Danielle has been Danny Starr for a decade and for a long time, they were the exact same person. Danny shared all of Danielle's life on the radio. Relationships, breakups, falling in big love and getting married, and eventually, her pregnancy. Danielle was happy. She had everything she ever wanted. She had plans for her future, and that future was going to be just as fantastic as it had been since she started being Danny Star.
1: I had known forever that I wanted to be— I think in high school, everyone knew, like, I was going to be a mom. Like, that was it. Um, I said, I want to be a mom. I knew I was going to do some other things, but ultimately I knew that I wanted to be a mom. So I was super excited. I plotted the pregnancy. I knew that we wanted to have a baby. Like, there was nothing during the pregnancy that made me paranoid to be a mom. It made me think, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to handle this. Like, it's This was the one thing I knew I couldn't fail at. And then I had this little baby— And the very next day, I remember trying to get this tiny little thing into an outfit that (laughs) didn't fit because she was so little. And I struggled with it. And I just remember feeling like, I don't want to do any of this. I don't want this baby. I don't want this life. And it was just instant. It just set in. And then I thought, oh, this is normal. It's the baby blues. You know, don't don't panic yet talked to my midwife. I said, I'm crying on the phone, literally in the hospital, like, I can't do this. She's so little. She's like, you're going
2: to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. The baby blues are common. I mean, they're a common phrase, at least. You've heard it before, I'm guessing. I know I had. Babies are a lot of work. So yes, they make you tired and they can be overwhelming. And something like 80% of women have the baby blues after giving birth. But they're supposed to go away after a few weeks. They're just temporary. Now, Danielle had done her homework on pregnancy. I went to every baby class. And she thought she'd prepared for everything. You know,
1: swaddling a baby, had that down. You know, I knew how to breathe, hypnobirthing, all kinds of crazy meditation things to get me through, you know, actually birthing this child. But I think the most important thing that was missing from all the education that I learned was protecting my mental health. But
2: Danielle left her conversation with her midwife feeling like these feelings would pass, that she'd be okay. And I believed that for a second, but then when I got home, it was
1: like the beginning of the end. I knew I just didn't feel right. There was no excitement anymore. And I, like I said, I spent an entire pregnancy excited. Um, and then it gradually... So it, it, the onset was quick. But then the, the deep, deep darkness... And, and that's what I refer to it as... Like when I talk about this time in my life, I always talk about the darkness. Um, and, but the deep darkness, that came kind of gradually, but every day was worse than the day before. And something else happened to make me a little more paranoid... A little less secure in. Oh, you're a good mom. You know it, it. It got to the point where I just didn't want to do it at all. I wanted no part of it. I think for me it was. I I knew babies shouldn't cry and baby needed to be changed and I feed baby, but then there was like so little sleep that. Okay, Salvador Dali. You know the painter. So, Salvador Dali, he did not sleep a lot, right? He actually held a spoon in his hand, and when the spoon fell out, um, that's when he would decide, you know, he was going to wake up. That's why all his paintings look like morphed into each other. He was partially insane because he didn't sleep. That's essentially postpartum depression. You don't sleep at all, and though you're not holding a spoon in your hand, there's so little sleep that things start to morph together. I didn't see real reality. Everything looked like a Salvador Dali painting. And so it was really difficult to navigate myself through that life. All I remember is, baby shouldn't cry. So robotic me sitting on the couch hears baby cry. I get up, I go over, I I, I help baby, I feed baby, I sit back down. But there's no love, there's no emotion, there's none of that. And then when I am awake at this point, because I'm not sleeping at all, my thoughts gravitate towards, what if... What if this world is better without me? Because I don't feel love for this human I just produced, so I must be bad. I must not be good. I'm not anything. Because how can you give birth to this beautiful human and see everyone cooing and eyeing over this beautiful baby, and you feel nothing? Oh, because you're not good. You're evil. And you shouldn't be here. Like, literally, it goes from zero to 100 so quickly and there is no scaling it back you have absolutely no control over it and, and in this frame of mind it doesn't seem crazy to you you know talking to you now I can tell you none of this was logical but in the moment me counting sleeping pills because I just wanted to sleep and thinking okay I don't think I'm gonna die and let me just try to google how many I can take to knock me out for a couple of days but maybe not die like that's not normal but in that mind frame, I was like, I, I don't really care. I just need to sleep, you know, not thinking about anything else. So it, there's no logic. There's, there's nothing. Um, it just hits you. It hits you hard. And if you're one of the lucky ones, you survive.
2: Danielle kept that to herself. Because what kind of a mother didn't like motherhood? And what kind of a happy, energetic morning show host with hundreds of thousands of fans and followers shares that kind of darkness when she's supposed to be spreading sunshine and celebrity gossip? So Danielle clawed her way through the darkness, sleep-deprived, anxious, and empty. And Danny Starr still woke up at 4.30 in the morning to entertain her city every day.
1: Your daily gossip starts now. This is Danny's Dish. Hot, hot, hot new couple alert. Ryan Gosling and Ava Mendez, who just filmed a movie together, were seen taking their romance off screen at Disneyland, holding hands. I went back to work really early. I I worked from home. Um, We set up a makeshift radio studio in my living room. So I was literally a couple days out, which probably added to it, to be honest. Baby on, boob, microphone on, talking maybe three days after giving birth. um, I had this pressure, you know, I I was a female radio person in a male-dominated industry, and they were like, where is she at? And it doesn't sound the same, and there was this pressure, and even though, you know... It's competitive. You want to keep your spot. Yes, and I wanted to make sure my kids were good. I was the breadwinner. I wanted to make sure we were safe, and so I, I worked while dealing with this horrible thing. It was just
2: so complicated. Danielle wasn't eating or sleeping or even showering. She could feel herself slipping further and further into the darkness. But Danny Starr was fine because Danny Starr had to be fine.
1: So I'm, at the time, I'm sitting in my living room, which is a makeshift studio. I have a baby on my lap. There's a microphone sitting in front of me. It's dark in my house because it's four in the morning. And then you hear music and you hear like fun and laughter and then you have to like start talking. It's, wow, <laughs> at the darkest time in my life I still had to make other people happy. Imagine that, right? I felt felt like I was dying, and I had to laugh at dumbass jokes. And I contemplated suicide and had to laugh at dumbass jokes. <laughs> and then um, I had to pretend like all of this was normal. But I remember when I would click the microphone off. I just remember my body, like I felt like my body could crumble into the ground. Like I would sit up to project and and I would sit up to, to make it come out. And then the moment the microphone went off, it was like my shoulder slumped and my whole body just kind of crumpled into itself because I just... It was so bad, it just didn't feel good. I just wanted to not be doing it. The Great Pretender, like literally, it was, it was literally living a double life. Because if you listened to the show, you probably would have had no idea. But meanwhile, my house was dark, my body was cold, my mind was paranoid all the time. Like there
2: was, there was no reality that was safe in that space. And as the depression dug in deeper, days turned into weeks. And it wasn't just herself that Danielle started to doubt.
1: I was paranoid about everything. I thought that uh, my husband at the time, I believed that he was going to kidnap our baby. He's from St. Lucia. And so I believed he was going to take our baby to another country. And in fact, when she was three months old, we traveled to St. Lucia and he accidentally forgot my passport. So postpartum me in the airport knows right now for a fact that he's kidnapping my child, which is, of course, why he forgot, you know, my passport. I'm having a heart attack. I'm calling my sister. I'm telling her, I told you this is real. He he did this on purpose. We don't even have my it's my maiden name on my passport, which means I don't even have they they can't even prove this baby's mine because they share the same last name on their passports. They're going to let him leave with this baby and I'm going to be here by myself. And this was his plan all along. And in that tiny 20 minutes of panic for this passport, all of that went through my head that quickly and now, no, he wasn't trying to steal our baby. But the entire trip, I thought he was going to push me over cliffs to keep her. I, You know, do you want to go on a hike? Hell no. You go on that hike by your damn self because I know what's coming. You know, I know how this ends. Like, literally, that's where my mind was the entire time. It was somebody's going to kill me. It's probably going to be him. He's going to marry my best friend because that's what they wanted to do all along. And they're going to raise my baby.
2: Gosh, this is – and this is also when you I, – I can tell you because I have the brochure, the postpartum depression brochure in my house. That is not not what's described. I mean, you know, there's, it's very – they keep it very vague. And did you feel like this was the kind of thing that you could talk to, you know, your friends about or your family about or your doctor about? No, because it seemed –
1: in my mind, that it was normal, even though it wasn't. And then when I started to realize that some of it wasn't normal... Well, first of all, the problem with the brochure is that any woman reading that, if you feel any level of craziness above that you're probably going to be like hell no i can't talk about this because this brochure said this is what happens and i'm you know wanting to jump off bridges or do these types of things so we probably shouldn't have this conversation i remember going to my appointment and they actually did give me um you know the survey are you eating are you sleeping are you do you have harmful thoughts all these things and i'm sitting there and there are yeses to most of these really negative questions like do you want to kill yourself "Eh, yeah probably um do you want to harm your baby? Not really, but if she starts crying a lot, probably. Like, I literally was in that mind frame, but I'm circling no on all of these things because I know logically I'm not supposed to say yes to this. Like what happens then? So now I'm here, you're asking me these questions, you're gonna take my baby. And even though I'm not super connected to this baby, I know she's mine and everything else feels out of control. So the only thing that I have is her. And so you don't tell you don't you don't wanna tell the truth. I I have I'm so open. I'm extremely public. I talk about everything. I'm an overshare by nature. It's just who I am. And that was the one time in my entire life I wanted nobody to know any part of what I was going through. And it's crazy. Like, I suffered in silence for so long, and nobody—you know, I, I have a lot of medical professionals. My best friend Claire is a nurse. She didn't understand it.
0: I remember really distinctly feeling ill-equipped.
1: This
2: is Claire.
0: Like, I don't know how to help somebody in this situation— I don't know what to do. And I spent a lot of time trying to convince her to get help, which I now realize is really futile because she was very incapacitated and really struggling to have any motivation and ownership over her own life. And I'm telling her to do something to get help, to get help, not realizing that
2: she actually couldn't. Danielle was so convinced that her husband was going to take the baby from her that she started hatching an escape plan from their home and from her life.
1: I had stashed baby products in one area—a ba- like a you know overnight bag, some things that I would need in my breast pump. Um, and when he left, he said, "I'm going to the store. I'll be back." I said, "Okay." He left. I watched him pull away, and my mind went into fight or flight. And I packed up the car. I went over to my grandpa's house. I turned all the lights off because it was in an area that I knew if the lights were on, someone would say, oh, someone's over there. I mean, I was in complete darkness
2: for, you know, 14 days. Danielle's grandpa was in a nursing home, so she and the baby had the place to themselves. It was a perfect hiding spot.
1: It was silent, which gave me a lot of time to be in my crazy mind and plot funerals and You know, I buried every—in those 14 days, I buried every single person that I really loved. Um, I could tell you eulogies for my best friend, for my brothers, because for whatever reason, all I could think of was death. I literally planned funerals for 14 days. I planned funerals. I um, thought about my own life and death and the things I had done wrong and how they were so wrong that I really didn't deserve to live, and then— how could I take care of this baby because I'm bad and all I think about is death and she's life and it doesn't make sense and I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping. It it, it was just, it was dark. And, And I don't mean dark as in I closed the shades and had all the lights off. I did. It was dark, literally. But it was also dark as in cold and uncomfortable in my own skin and I don't mean when you're sitting around someone and you feel like a little self-conscious I mean my skin hurt like being me hurt it was painful it was I didn't like me I didn't like um, the way I sounded I didn't like the way I breathed I didn't like the way my skin felt on my body everything was wrong everything was wrong and mostly everything was wrong with me And I think for me, the hardest part about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety was the judgment I had for women that actually killed their babies. Um, I remember, like, being so naive and judgmental back then, like, well, how could these, you know, Andrea Yates and, like, just women who these horrible stories came up, right? And I would think, well, there's a special place in hell for them. Like, instantly, just not a question. And here I am, counting sleeping pills, ready to kill myself and my kid, and I realized, oh, shit, no, there's not a special place in hell for them. They're living in hell, like, actually. Because I, had it have continued any longer than it did, I 100% believe I wouldn't be sitting across from you doing this interview. I, it just wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Thank God my baby wasn't a crier, because I'm going through this, and if she was a crier, we wouldn't survive, because... It, that's very overwhelming. A baby crying is overwhelming. I
2: think especially. people don't understand that. Like you were talking about these stories where people like harm a baby. It is like having a broken doll. Yeah. It's like having a broken computer program. And you're like, I know I'm supposed to love this. And it is. Imagine how frustrated you get when like, you know, you're you can't get like cell phone service or like a text won't send and how people uh-huh. like throw fits over that. You're yeah. like, you are holding this thing and you don't know the code to it. Right. And it won't turn off. And
1: you're supposed to know and the code. you're supposed to know the code. Because it you're, came
2: from you. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know. I'm, like, I'm going to pat you like this. I'm going to try to feed you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it can be hours. Yeah. Right now, we have to take a little break because I'm actually in the studio with my baby and I have to go take care of it. It won't be hours, but when we come back... Danielle's friends get desperate. So we're back. I do have a really good baby. He's doing great. Anyways, we're back and Danielle's been hiding out in her grandfather's house while her friends and family try to track her down.
0: I mean, I had a short list of places where she could be, but when she wasn't at her mother's, and I was trying to think of where the places would be, and her grandfather's didn't pop in my mind right away because he was actually in a nursing home.
2: Danielle's family and friends knew that she was safe and the baby was safe, but nothing else. She'd reply to texts with terse and cryptic messages. We're fine. Leave us alone. But she was not fine. And eventually, her best friend had had enough.
0: I think I got to my own point of desperation. She was in her point of desperation, and I got there, too, because I was worried that she was going to hurt herself.
1: I think that I could have stayed there forever. I really do. But Claire was very adamant about not my safety anymore because she knew I didn't care about my own safety at this point. She was really concerned about my baby. And she sent a text message and she said, I'm saying this out of love. I love you.
0: If you're not going to help yourself, I'm going to make sure you get help.
1: You're not giving me enough information. I don't know where you are.
0: And I did threaten to call the police.
1: And so I finally told her where where I was um, And then she sent Jill, who's a nurse And when Jill pulled up, I remember You know what's weird is that I actually remember kind of a sense of relief um, But also, get the hell out of here It was like a push and pull Like, I really want you here, but look at me i 14 days of not showering, not eating, not sleeping Like, I did not, it was not a pretty sight, you know So, when Jill got in there, um, I think I was expecting more anger from Jill. Like, how could you run away? And how could you take this baby and put yourself in danger and your baby in danger? And I think what I wasn't expecting was the level of compassion. And she sat down and she instantly picked up the baby. And I remember. I remember when she was holding the baby, how happy she looked, and like how. She um, she said things that I hadn't even thought, like, she's so beautiful and, you know, she's amazing. And I remember thinking, oh, shit, that's how I'm supposed to feel. What is this? Like, what am I feeling? I've never even looked at my baby and thought, you're beautiful. And she was. She's cute as hell. So I I don't know. I think that at that moment, I, I just was like, help me. This isn't who I am. Like, who... I don't know who this person is. I don't recognize her. And I'm going to hurt myself. Like, I need
2: help. Danny and Jill got up and walked out of that dark house, but not out of the darkness. And going, ba- going back home was really difficult because just because
1: I knew something was wrong with me, didn't know I knew how to fix it, you know? You can you can know things all day long, but if you don't have a plan and... In, in, In motion to get back to who you are. You're just someone who's aware something is wrong with no plan of action.
2: So they worked at it. They got a name for it postpartum depression. The stronger, more ruthless cousin to the baby blues. The one that won't go away in a couple of weeks and that can take away your ability to cope. They named it, and they developed a plan to fight it.
1: I saw a therapist weekly. I met with my midwife more often. There were so many people in and out of the house at all times because it really wasn't safe for me to be by myself. And then once I actually admitted to my midwife what was happening and we started working through it, she actually asked me to talk about it. She said that... um, you know you talk about everything, right? I said, yeah, of course I do. She goes, you're not talking about this. I said, yeah, I know. It's weird, right? And she goes, why? I said, I don't know. Well, because it's easy to see if someone has a broken arm. It's easy to see if somebody, you know, has a black eye. You know, it's easy to see those things. I, you couldn't see what I was going through. And so I didn't think people would understand, um, which comes into play, the mental health stigma, obviously. But um, I was scared that because you couldn't see my wounds, people wouldn't, one, believe them or try to understand them. And then again, I was scared about judgment. I I mean, look how I felt about the women who killed their babies. And here I am telling you that I want to kill mine or myself, you know, like, what comes with that? Opening yourself up to that craziness, you know? So... What happened was, I had to really think about it, and what kind of played in my head many times was, was to, who much is given, much is required, right? And I have been very blessed to be given a platform that other people haven't. And people have literally followed me since I was 19 years old. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. So why... If I'm in the worst situation in my life and I had to suffer through it alone, would I ever allow anybody else to do that? So I
2: posted one post. Danielle wasn't sure how Danny Starr's fans would react to this confession. Because postpartum depression had happened to Danielle quietly, off the air. And sharing it with Danny Starr's fan base felt scary and a little dangerous. This isn't like sharing a post on your Facebook page where your friend's ex-boyfriend's best friend that you met at a party once might make a weird comment that you can delete. Danny Starr has over 150,000 fans across social media. Fans who didn't know what had happened after the pregnancy Danny was so excited about. Just that she had disappeared for a while. But that's what new moms do. It's called, like, maternity leave. But Danielle couldn't help but think... Would she be judged the way she had judged other women before she'd endured this kind of pain? And I had no idea how many women suffered like I did. The response to her post was an overwhelming outpouring of women who had experienced postpartum depression or were in the throes of it. Women who were grateful to Danny for sharing her experience. Women who needed help. Women who raised their hands to say, Me too. Danielle was overwhelmed, humbled, and pushed into action. She had a platform, all those social media followers. She had something to say that wasn't about celebrities and pop music, and she was going to use it.
1: I spent hours upon hours upon hours responding to women who ha- were in the same place that I was, who had nobody to talk to, who had didn't tell their husbands, their partners, their family members and they were emailing me and I instantly tell them that it is going to be okay because I think when you're in the darkness you can't see the other side when you're in the thick of it all that matters is that moment and so you don't see beauty on the other side of it everything that they are feeling in that moment the opposite is on the other side and that's usually where I go to I know you're feeling worthless but you're worthy I know you're cold But it's warm over here and you can get here i'm here like i hear you i see you i feel you because i think you feel invisible during that time and that's that's
2: isolating as hell you know i understand this isolation this darkness i didn't have words for it when ralph was first born my husband was sick with brain cancer he had brain surgery just weeks before our son was born And when I got out of the hospital, I had two people to take care of. My darkness was different from Danielle's, but it was darkness. I wasn't overwhelmed with love at the sight of my son. I was just overwhelmed. He was a small alien that was inhabiting my life. When he needed me, it took away from my sick husband. I took good care of him, but I never felt like I was good at it like I was a natural. It took time for me to fall in love with him. And when I finally did, all I felt was guilt over how long it took me, how other moms were better at it than I was, how another woman would have appreciated this baby I prayed so hard for. A lot of women feel like Danielle felt during her pregnancy, that we were born to do this, that for whatever reason, we can't fail. I felt this way at least. And I think I felt this way because everyone around me had made it look so easy. Every Facebook post, every Instagram photo I saw projected this peaceful, grateful view of motherhood. That it was a blessing. That it was to be savored and treasured. That all the sleepless nights and the milk stained clothes and the leaky boobs are moments to be appreciated. That even the challenges of motherhood are somehow enjoyable because this is what we signed up for. Like, when you don't feel that way, when the hard parts of motherhood are just hard, you feel like you're failing twice. I didn't think of this as postpartum depression. I didn't think of it at all, because between a cancer patient and a newborn, I was the least important person in our household my needs were nowhere near the top of my list of priorities. I didn't ask for help. I, in fact, turned down help. Because I believe the most important thing a mother could be is capable. I may not have wanted to take care of my baby, but I had to do it. And I had to do it on my own. Because that's what moms do, right?
1: You know, it takes a village, right? That used to be the saying. And you need to build your village while you're pregnant. You have to call on your people. I found during this whole thing, I found that people really struggle asking for help. Not me. I need help. I need all the help. I need hands on, all hands on deck. And I learned that through the postpartum depression and the postpartum anxiety because I didn't ask for help. I was scared. I was terrified. Now I ask for help in any situation because at the end of the day, when people love you, they want to help you. But you can be independent and still get help. Like, doesn't make you any less of a person or any less of a mom. In fact, I think I'm a better mom because I ask for help. Because having a baby is not a piece of cake.
2: <laughs> it's hard work. Yeah, the first baby with Ralph, I would have people over to meet the baby and I would have, like, breakfast made. And the house would be clean. You're insane. It doesn't make any sense. And I would be like looking up things to do on like Pinterest. And I wanted to like <laughs> look good. And like this baby, I wish this I'm, this was a video because I'm like, did I put my eyebrows on today? I don't think I did. Right. So I don't even look. I look like a lab rat. <laughs> and <laughs> and people come over and I'm like, take him. I'm going to go sleep. And that just it's so vulnerable. Like yeah. the first time I was like, no, I want everyone to think I'm like good at this. And now I'm like, well, I mean, I know that I'm like fairly decent at it, but also like, I will let you do my dishes. Yeah. I will let you do my dishes. Yeah. And, and think I'm about it. Because I'm a person it. with dishes.
1: Have you ever been good at something that you've never done just right away? Like, are you just like good at the first time you drove a car? Are you just good at it? No. I literally crashed the car into our garage. Precisely. So, so and, you had yes, to, was great. and you had to learn that, right? You had to go to driver's ed and you had to be taught those things. Yet, you have a baby, and you're just expected to know it all, and you're expected to do it all. And we wonder why women's mental health kind of slips away from them right after they have a baby. No, it's the expectations have to be lowered a little bit. And I don't mean like, hey, you got your baby not in a car seat. woohoo! No, get your baby in a car seat. But for the love of God, understand that you don't have to be a Pinterest mom. You don't have to have all these crazy expectations for yourself. If your baby is happy, smiling, breathing, and eating, you're doing it right. Everything else, that comes secondary. You know, as long as you're good and your baby is good, that's what matters.
2: Danielle and Danny Starr aren't who they used to be, but they're back to being one person a person who has been changed by her experiences, who's used them to learn and to grow.
1: Before postpartum depression and anxiety, I was super, super extroverted all the time. Right now, Danny Star has to be extroverted now. Like that's just who she is. Um, but I'm extremely introverted in my real life now, which I never was. I was the same person all the time, and I and who I am, like morally, character-wise, that never changes. I always, I always am true to that. I stay true to me, and whatever that means, it doesn't mean I stay true to what people want Danny Star to be. It means I stay true to who I am. And she is such a big part of who I am. But as I've gotten older, we've grown, we've changed. We're not hyper-focused on Hollywood. You know, we're not hyper-focused on fun little trending topics. That's great. Those are awesome. And you know what? Sometimes you just need to laugh. But, you know, I'm out here doing things because I feel like we need to change the world and we have kids now and it's just just different.
0: And it's opened her heart and her mind in ways that, She never would have before and allowed her to connect with people and become an even more incredible version of herself.
1: So I'm going back to school, getting my master's in clinical social work, because, and I'm going to work with mom's mental maternal health.
2: It's important when you're talking about things like this, when you're talking about mental illness, that you don't try to make it seem like there's a happy ending. Like everything's wrapped up with a nice, neat bow. I mean, Danielle's happy and this podcast is going to end, but it's not like her mental health has come to some neat sort of conclusion. This is a process for her. This is something that she still works at.
1: So the darkness is like, um, let's say, like a line in the sand, right? And occasionally I run up pretty close to it. But I feel that now, whereas before the darkness used to sneak up on me like sucker punch. You know, it didn't didn't give me any warnings. It just hit. Now it kind of gives me warnings. You're exhausted. You're a little irritable. You're very anxious. Occasionally, it hits me a little harder and I cross the line, in which case, at least I'm aware still. Right. I know it. I'm not afraid of it. I know I can come out of it. I work with my therapist, my best friend. Um, the people around me, and I say it. I say, you guys, I'm slipping. Like, I need help. And then, you know, I always I always wind up back where I'm supposed to be.
2: I'm Nora McNerney and this is Terrible, Thanks for Asking. Our producer is Hans Buto. This episode was mixed by Corey Shreppel. Special thanks this week to Sasha Oslanian and Natalie Jablonski for sitting in Studio 3A with us and listening to every word of this podcast and then offering us notes. And special thanks to Baby Stormtrooper for only making a little bit of noise. Can you hear his nose whistle right now? We are all over the internet. You can find us and talk with us at TTFA podcast. You can subscribe to Terrible Thanks for Asking on iTunes or other fine purveyors of podcasts. And if your platform allows, um, give us a rating. Start at five. Work your way down for it. Just start at five. Give us a five-star rating. It helps people find the show and it fills up my self-esteem balloon. Last week, we asked you to send us your crazy holiday stories, and you did. We made a collection of what you sent us, and you can hear it by texting TERRIBLE4 to 677-677. If you didn't submit something, no problem. We'd still love for you to hear everyone else's stories, too. If you have a story you'd like to share, use your smartphone to record a little message and send it to us. On iPhones, it's called voice memos. On other phones, I cannot tell you what it's called, I bet it's similar, record a little memo and send it to us at ttfa at org. Our theme music is composed by Joffrey Wilson. Terrible Thanks for Asking is a production of American Public Media.
1: So it was night You met and day. the Backstreet Boys. I met the Backstreet Boys.
2: I, AJ, I love you. Yeah, I, I mean. More of a Kevin, but it's okay. <clears throat> yeah,
1: yeah, poor Kevin. He gets left out a lot, but I like Kevin too.